0: So I've been teaching, this is the second of two parts, on accepting Jesus as 100%, not 95%, Lord and King. And last time we were together, we emphasized that the enemy is constantly after our hearts to diminish our vision of Christ. At the same time, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are constantly working in our hearts to lift our vision of Christ so that we can see him in the fullness of his glory. And we don't. We don't yet see him in the fullness of his glory. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3 that as we behold his glory, we are changed. As we behold his image, we are changed from one degree of glory to another to the fullness of the stature of Christ. And we are being changed. We are all being changed. doesn't matter where you are in the Lord. If you accepted Jesus yesterday, you're being changed. If you accepted Jesus 70 years ago with Don, you are still being changed. You are still being changed. The Bible says those that bear fruit, what does he do? He prunes them so that they bear more fruit. The Bible says that the sons of Levi, that he will purify the sons of Levi. And we are the sons of Levi, the royal priesthood unto our God. And he is purifying us. The scripture says that those whom he loves, he disciplines. And we are all in the midst of the forming hand of the Lord. So we want to see the Lord as full Lord, as full King. And the enemy is desperate to keep Jesus from being in that 100% preeminent place in our life. He just wants Jesus below something. If he can get it where it's below something, he's gotten a good shape. Because then Jesus is not God. Jesus is subservient to whatever he's below. If Jesus is below your career, your career is your idol. Your career is your idol. Whatever Jesus is below is your idol. And it will be a bondage to us. I I go back and forth between you and we. Y'all just got to spare me there. I can't control my mouth sometimes. Everything I'm saying applies to me. But everything we put above the Lord or let be above the Lord is a bondage to us. Every single thing. Jesus said that he who sins is a slave of sin. And the absolute sin is to have a God before our only and true God. And if our career is that, that's it. If it's our spouse, that's it. If it's money, that's it. And the Lord is desperately working to crack that open. And the enemy is desperately working to get something in front of Jesus so that we'll bow down and worship something else. And he'll even put himself there. He'll ask you to bow down and worship him. Satan asked Jesus to bow down and worship him. If Satan asked Jesus to do it, he will ask us to do it. So we mentioned last time that God gave us a great example in the natural. In the natural, we all understand the relationship between a man and wife, and it would not be appropriate at all for a woman who loves her husband to say, you know, I want to be with you 97% of the time, but one night a month I want to go out with another man. Well, we all see that that's exactly a disaster. That would never work, but that's exactly what we do with Jesus. Jesus is asking for everything, and he is our bridegroom, and we are his bride. And he's saying, I want you every night of the month. I want you every morning of the month, every lunch, every sleep, the whole thing. I want all of that. Not so that I can take things from you, but so that I can bless you. It's such a miraculous verse in the Scripture where Jesus says, He who loses his life will find it. He who loses his life would find it completely opposite to the natural way of looking at things, but completely online with the Lord. For when we lose our life, that's when we find life in Jesus. For he himself is life, and that's when we find him. We mentioned in the parable of the kingdom that Jesus was the treasure hidden in the field. Jesus was the pearl of great price. And the man who bought the field did not buy the field out of duty, But the scripture says he bought the field out of pure joy. And this is Jesus. When we see Jesus as so special, like that treasure hidden in the field, when we see him as so special, we're not giving ourselves to him out of duty like, okay, what are the eight things i got to do to be a Christian? Let me see if I can mark those off. It's going to be tough, but I'm going to apply No, no, no. When you see him in his fullness, you go after him, not out of duty, but out of joy. Out of joy. And any single time in our life that Jesus is a duty, we're believing a lie. I'm going to say that again. Any time in our life that we see Jesus as a duty, then we're being lied to. We're living a lie. Because the scripture says that when we see him, we go after him out of fullness of joy. Out of fullness of joy. We don't serve a risen Savior because we have to, we serve a risen Savior because we get to. Because we get to. Because He alone is worthy. Sometimes I'd ask my Sunday school class to lay out, what are you going to do in the first 100,000 years of heaven? Well, some people could lay out 1,000 years. I would be pretty bored with the things they laid out, but, you know, there's no way we would be in heaven and could last 100,000 years the way we think now. But, you see, in heaven we are going to know Him the way we are known. And it's because we know Him we experience eternal life. And the scripture says eternal life doesn't begin in heaven, but begins right here. Because in John 17, 3, he says, For to know the Father and the Son is eternal life. So Jesus is just the most incredible thing we can think of. Multiplied, 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 multiplied. So again, Satan then is after to diminish Jesus in our life. And God is after that he be put in the 100% Lord and King place where he's due. Last time we went through and talked about scriptures in different books where Paul constantly brought this up. And he would say, I do not want, even as, even as the devil deceived Eve, I am concerned that you might be deceived from simple and pure devotion to Jesus. He said, this bothers me because you're getting off on other things. And one of the things the enemy does is just to try to get us off onto another thing. Religion is perfectly acceptable to the enemy. Just so you can get caught in religion and leave out Jesus. But you see, there is no such thing as religion without Jesus. Such a great scripture. Colossians 2, 16 and 17 says, Therefore no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. The substance belonged to Christ. Every aspect of religion is a shadow. The substance belongs to Christ. Jesus is the substance. And now, Helen's on to my case to make sure I don't tell stories more than one time. You had to put up with me. I do have a limit of six, but I may tell stories more than one time. But one tremendous thing that the Lord showed me one time was Helen putting out dinner at our house And Helen does this every once in a while for a variety of people. But instead of cooking real food, Helen took pages from Southern Living that had pictures of really good food and put a picture on each plate. And one plate had steak, and one plate had salmon, and one plate had this really good spaghetti. And everybody sat down, and Helen said, dig in. And everybody looked up at Helen and said, what are you talking about? And she said, can't you see it? It's really good food. It's from Southern Living. Well, we would all look at that and be crystal clear that even though the steak might look like steak, it is only a shadow of a steak. That the substance is in the real food. And Paul is saying here, everything short of Jesus is a shadow. Jesus is the substance. And when the Bible, when the angel came and told a prophesied of Jesus coming, he said, and We all learned this in all of our Bible school days. The angel says, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all men. And every time Jesus comes into a situation, it is good tidings of great joy. When he came into the world, it is good tidings of great joy. When he comes into my relationship with my wife, it is good tidings of great joy. When he comes into the federal government of the United States, It is good tidings of great joy. When he comes into the government of Angola, it's good tidings of great joy. Wherever Jesus is, it's good tidings of great joy. Now, if we don't yield to him, he's going to do more discipline. He's going to anchor us in. I've been several times in my life calling out to the Lord, asking the Holy Spirit to see if there was a wicked way in me. And the Holy Spirit, as much as came back and said, Look at your old list. I've already found wicked ways in you. Let's deal with those first. You already know those. But the Lord will make known. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. And if we invite the Holy Spirit to come, He will convict us and show us where the Lord is not in the first place. Another great verse is in Colossians 3.11 where he says, There is no room for either Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian or scythian, but Christ is in all Christ is all and in all. But Christ is all and in all. There is no more room for distinction. And we've talked about this before. There's a spirit in our country that puts people in buckets. And they're going to say, okay, well, you're a non-denominational, charismatic, uh, freewheeling something church. And we know what that is or you're a Baptist church, or you're a Pentecostal church, or something like this, and we put people in buckets. We do this not only in religion, but many other things. We put people in buckets. And then we say, I know what's wrong with your bucket. But do you know that Paul said that because one person says, I'm following Paul, and another person says, I'm following Apollos, Paul says, for that reason alone, I know that you're an infant in Christ, because you consider people by whom they follow by what fellowship they're gathered under. But he says, I'm telling you this, it's neither Greek nor Jew, and that was a big schism at the time. It is neither circumcised nor uncircumcised, which to the Jews was a gigantic difference. And it is neither barbarian nor Scythian, but it is this, Christ is all and in all. Christ is all and in all. These are just tremendous verses, and they're... Many of them. Last time we went over a bunch of them, but this is all through the New Testament. I challenge you in the New Testament to get kind of think two ways. Paul is correcting people for places where they've let Jesus be supplanted by something else. And he's lifting Jesus up so they'll see he's more glorious. Pretty much the whole New Testament is in those two things. Don't let the law come in and ruin your new revelation of Christ. Okay? Don't let, you know, uh, patterns and religious procedures and things like that drain you down, but look unto the living Lord. He's saying, do not let these things come about. Do not let the taking of your possessions bother you, for you have something of immeasurable value, not to be compared to the loss of a few possessions here on earth. He is telling you, don't let the enemy supplant Jesus with this, and then let me tell you how much more wonderful Jesus is than you know. And that's why he writes verses that says, The eye is not seen, the ear is not heard, neither has it entered the heart of man, the very thing God has prepared for them that love him. You know, I, I, I have, in my testimony, before I met the Lord, I knew I was supposed to love people, but inside of me, I knew I didn't really love people unless they loved me. That was pretty much it. If you love me, I love you. But I didn't really care that much about people I didn't know. And one of the things that God did, maybe the major thing he did in my life, was after I gave him my life, all of a sudden I woke up one Saturday morning and there was love in my heart for people who didn't love me at all. There is no way that can happen except God don't do it. And there's no way many things can happen except the Lord does it. So I want to talk about this fellowship then. So what does this mean? Jesus, there are four chapters in the Bible that to me are very wonderful chapters to look at because they're chapters where Jesus was about to leave and he sat down and he gave instructions to his disciples. And these chapters are used a lot. And it's John 14 through John 17. And John 14 through John 17, you read through that, Jesus giving a long discourse before he leaves. And he's saying, I want to tell you these things. And it's a wonderful set of chapters. And then in John 18, he just starts out and he's headed to the crucifixion. So in John 15, and many of you are familiar with this, we're going to read these verses. Jesus described his fellowship with us like a vine and a branch. So I'm going to read John 15, 1 through 7. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now there's there's four hours of talking in that little section of verses, but I want you to f- focus on a few things. The first thing was Jesus said. Let me tell you what you need to do. Jesus is always saying, if you'll keep my commandments, he said in John 14, 21, if you keep my commandments, I will reveal myself to you. And he said, I want you to abide in me. Now, this is a complicated thing. It was very hard for us to understand what it means to abide in Jesus. Now, I just want to take a, a little sideways thing here because in the church, we use sometimes some complicated terms. You know, we, in the church, we'll talk about a life of faith, We'll talk about trusting the Lord. Um, uh, We will talk about uh, believing in Jesus. And we talk about abiding. Those are the four things that we really talk about that have to do with our relationship with Jesus. And these are very similar things. They're not just a little bit different. Okay, But when we talk, my favorite is abiding because it's the easiest to understand. Faith, there are lots of sermons taught on faith. And it's important to have faith and to understand faith. If you're abiding in Jesus, you are putting your faith in Jesus. It is taking your life and putting your life into Jesus. That's what he means by abiding. A branch is into the vine. It's fully into the vine. It doesn't leave stragglers. It's totally into the vine. You might say, well, is the branch and the vine different? Well, they're a little different, but they're merged together. And this is something that's a mystery to us, because God meant from the beginning for there to be such a fellowship with us that we be united together with Him even as the Son is united with the Father. Now that's, that's deep. God meant for us to be so close to Him that we be united with Him even as the Son is united with the Father. And that's God's intent, that we be one. And he's talking about abiding. The most important things in here is to figure out what our part is. Um, You know, the, the Scripture says that the Word of God will not return void, and the Word of God will not return void because God produces the fruit. The Word of God will not return void because of what God does. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And God always gives the increase. We're a good bunch of planters and waterers, and we need planters and waterers. But we are planters and waterers, and none of our planting or watering does anything unless God gives the increase. But he does give the increase. God's not the question mark. The question mark is us. Are we going to plant and water? God will take care of his part. 2 Timothy it says, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. God will always remain faithful. It, the issue of God being faithful is another talk. We're going to have that one. But God is always faithful. So he's saying in here, what I want you to do is I want you to abide in me like a branch abides in the vine. Totally. When a branch abides in the vine, the things that are in the vine flows through the branch. If you were looking at the fruit on the end of the branch, you'd say, well, where'd that fruit come from? Well, it's kind of a strange thing to say because it came from the nutrition of the vine, but it went through the branch. And we're never going to understand this in fullness But there is a uniting of us with Jesus that's beyond what we can understand in our mind. Now, oftentimes we talk about things in the Spirit, but we have this about the littlest understanding of the Spirit. We don't have to have a great understanding. Jesus tells us what we need to know. But we shouldn't pretend, oh, I've got all that down. None of us has that down. Jesus said, he who is led by the Spirit, you don't know where he comes from, and you don't know where he's going to, just like the wind. And that's just the person led by the Spirit. We haven't got it. We don't understand this. The Bible says that God is spirit. Oh, yeah, I know that. Well, you know it in your head, but you don't know it. What does it mean for God to be spirit? The spiritual realm, the spirit, the presence of God, is something we only have a flavor of. We haven't got our hands around it where we can chop it apart and put it under a microscope. And it'll never be that way because it's too big. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says that he who has given his life to Christ is one spirit with him. Well, how does that work? Well, this is that abiding. This is that abiding in Christ. Um, Early on in my life, I kept seeing a big box and a little box, and I would tell the Lord, now, if I'm going to abide in you, I can be the little box, but then you can't be abiding in me because you're the big box. So you either got to have it one way or the other. But the Lord encouraged me that it's more like a mixture. It's more like taking an egg and opening up into flour. And you mix it up, and one's abiding in one, and other's abiding in the other. The flower's abiding in the egg, and the egg is abiding in the flower. And at the end, if you said, well, I want my egg back, well, you can't get your egg back. Because you see, the abiding of one and the other, and abiding of this and that, has made a new creation. Because the scripture says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. Well, that new creation is this mysterious merger we don't understand where we have united with Christ. And there's definitely a deeper uniting than a casual uniting, but we don't understand all that stuff. But Jesus is saying it's not for you to understand everything, because if you make understanding your ultimate way you rule your life, you are exalting understanding above Jesus, and understanding is your idol. Now that's hard to hear. But we get to know in part, and that's fine. But the Bible says that Jesus was made unto us the wisdom of God. We think of wisdom as things written down on a piece of paper. That's not what God said. The Bible says Jesus was made unto us wisdom in 1 Corinthians 1.30. Well, how can Jesus be wisdom? How can Jesus be truth? How can Jesus be the life? Well, we understand a little bit of it, but not all of it. I keep coming back to this because our culture exalts understanding. If you're a smart person, they put you up on a podium and say, ask you their questions. Understanding is fine, and I, I spend my life in science. I'm working on these things all day. It's, all, it's good. The Lord blesses that. I don't want anybody to get the wrong understanding of this, that God will bless you and he'll bring forth knowledge. But in the big picture, we know very little, very little, it doesn't matter what we know, we know very little. We, we are really, really, really too puffed up because we tend to compare ourselves one with the other rather than to compare ourselves with the Almighty God. And John five forty four, he said, How can you believe when you receive glory one from another but you do not seek the glory that comes from the one and only God? Which means you can't believe until you start seeking the glory that comes from the one and only God. And it's beyond understanding. What happened to me is beyond understanding. I know what's happened to everybody in this room is beyond understanding. You're just grateful that God does it. I share this over and over, but we experience the wonderful heat from the sun, but we can't describe the equations of nuclear fusion that generate that heat. But we experience it, and that's the way it is with the Lord. We get to know some things, but we don't get to know everything. Because we got to know a whole lot more, do you know what we would do? We would get puffed up because knowledge puffeth up, and it'll make us puffed up, and if we have this much knowledge, we puff ourselves up. If the Lord tripled our knowledge, what would happen? One of the reasons I know that we're mortal is if the Lord made us immortal, we might never turn to him. We need to see our mortality. We need to see you're only going to be here for a little while. One time the Lord helped me with this in a dream, and I was trying to raise kids. Anybody here tried to raise kids? Yeah, amen. So, so you know, I was raising some kids, and the Lord showed me this is kind of a, in a dream, and he said, and I could see one of my kids, and we were playing Monopoly. And so this particular kid was just beating the pants off everybody in the family. Have you ever got one of those, somebody who gets on Boardwalk Park Place, and they just eat everybody up? And the worst part about it is they smile. When you land on it, they're, they're not businesslike. They're, oh, you landed on Park Place well, let's see what that will be, you know, and they turn the card over, and it's always three times more money than you have, but in this vision, what the Lord showed me was this, this kid was doing really good and made $5,000 in the game, and that was pretty good for our house, $5,000, and walked away with $5,000, we played again a little while later, played again a little while later, every time the guy won, and then at the end of that, we went to wake him up to go to school, and said, um, you know, it's time to go to school, and he said, well, I'm not going to school. I said, what do you mean you're not going to school? He said, no, listen, I've got life figured out. I can play Monopoly once a week and make $5,000. If I make $5,000 a week, I don't need to go to school. So I'm just not going to go to school. He said, well, you few little items you miss there. One big one is that's play money. You got it? But if that little kid exalts that game into reality, that was real money to him. Do you see? Now that's what we do. We take a little thing, and we say, okay, well, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. And God's saying, listen, every single thing in your life is just a whiff. It's just a whiff. And there's going to be an eternity. It blows my mind just to think in heaven there's no nighttime. No nighttime that the Father and the Son are light. And my mind goes, yeah, but when am I going to (coughs) rest? I got to rest. I don't know where you are in life, but rest is important to me. I got to recharge the battery. Do you know in heaven you do not recharge the battery? Well, now how is that? All I know is that the eye is not seen and the ear heard, nor is it entered into the heart of man. The very thing God has prepared its better than we're thinking. And Paul, was, he was torn. He said, for me to live is Christ, for me to die is gain, and I'm caught between the two, whether to stay here for your sake or whether to go on and be with the Lord, which is what I want. Well, I can understand that. But we need to recognize that Jesus is above knowledge. He's above understanding. He's above feelings. He's above mortality. He's above snake bites. He's above having shortness of breath. He's above the whole thing. And he's, in some miraculous way, called us to abide in him. It can't be anything but good news. I mentioned this before. It bothers me when people can't share with somebody else. People come up to me and say, Well, I don't know the Roman road scriptures. I don't know just how to do this. Grab that person and say, I want to introduce you to Jesus who rescued me, filled me, and gave me purpose for living. And he can rescue you and fill you and give you purpose for living. Now that is how you can get somebody to meet. Shake Jesus' hand. He is the difference. If you stumble over your scriptures, that's okay. God will bless that, and I'm all for using scriptures. And the Word of God is powerful and cuts down right between the soul and the spirit and makes a difference. Jesus himself fighting the devil quoted the scripture when anything from his mouth by itself was scripture. But he quoted the scripture when he fought the devil. I'm all for doing that, but we've got to be able to have Jesus so real to us That we say to somebody, I'm introducing you to the Savior of the world, the King of kings. I have met him. He's done wonders for me. He can do wonders for you. And that should be our testimony. We need to be able to do it. But the enemy, this will sound strange. The enemy will take Christians and try to tie them in knots on their inability to teach or share well enough to keep them from witnessing. They'll go, you're not a teacher. How can you talk about Jesus? You don't know all those scriptures that Pastor Miguel knows. How can you do that? Oh, well, no, no, no. You're doing things that are for leaders. You can't just share with somebody. You're going to bungle that scripture. That has nothing to do with it. You can share. You know, when the disciples went one to another, I think it was Simon and Andrew, he said, I found the Messiah. I found the Messiah. That's the testimony. I found the Messiah. He who takes away the sins of the world and transforms us into his image. So he's saying somehow we can abide in him. It is absolutely amazing and wonderful news. But Jesus puts some checks in here. And he says, I just want you to be clear on a couple of things. He said, abide in me and I will abide in you. As the branch of itself cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. Well, that's strong. That means Jesus is the only way that there is no bearing of fruit unless we're abiding in Jesus. You might say, well, i got a lot of fruit. Well, I don't know what kind of fruit you have, but the Scripture says those things that aren't from Jesus are tested by fire and that the wood, hay, and stubble will burn. And those things that aren't of Jesus are wood, hay, and stubble. And so there is no fruit that's real fruit that doesn't come from Jesus. And the next part of that verse he goes, He who abides in me, and I in him will bear much fruit. But listen to this. For apart from me you can do nothing. Most Christians quote this verse, Bob, by saying, Apart from me, I'm, apart from Jesus, I'm less effective. That's the way they live their life. They say, I have lots of knowledge and skills and ability. Watch me go. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But with me, you will bear much fruit. Do you catch it? He's only got two categories. You're abiding in him. You will bear much fruit. It will happen. You don't have to worry about the how. We have to worry about The abiding. John, we've got to be looking at our things and saying, am I putting this part of my life into the Christ? That's what our job is. His job is that we will bear much fruit. But apart from him, we can do nothing. And the Bible says that in front of him, no flesh shall glory. Many of us have things in the flesh that we look and receive praise from men, praise from other people. It doesn't receive God's praise. So this is a huge, important verse. Now, very interesting, after this, in John 15, 15, Jesus makes a statement. He says, No longer do I call you slaves, for a slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Now, he doesn't say that until he gets to the 15th verse of the 15th chapter of John. And it is very much worth reading John 14 up to the middle of John 15, because that's when he does the final revelation where he says, now I've made all things known to you. And this is great. Well, what does he talk about in those sections? He talks about some stuff that we read over. I used to read over these and go the I and you, you and me, I and them verses. You know, I would go, here's another one of those verses, I and thee, you and me. And the Lord really got onto me and said, you read that slow. So I'm going to read a few of them slow, about four of them slow. John 17, verse 21 and 23 Now, John 17 is Jesus' special prayer for the disciples before he leaves. Now, this is the prayer you want to hear. He's about to leave. He's about to be betrayed. And he says, I want to pray for these. And in verse 21 through 23, he goes, Father, I pray that they all may be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. It, Jesus just lays it out as straight as six times in that one verse. He says, that we may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. Well, that's, we can't make that happen. Jesus can make that happen. If we abide in Jesus, he said, then I will abide in you. You will be one with me. So our unction is that we abide in the Christ. And when we're talking about giving 100%, not 95%, to the Lord... The Lord is looking inside of us saying, what is that 5% you are not planting in me? That you are not planting me. In Colossians, it says, Colossians 2, 6, and 7, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith. So the Bible says, take your roots. This helps me to think of it as roots. Take the roots of everything that's Jim and plant each root into Jesus. Each root into Jesus. And he talks about that, and we're going to pick up on that in just a minute. But then in John 14, 20, Jesus said, In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. The same thing he said in John 17. We are all going to be together together. It's a creation you don't understand with your natural mind. Open the floodgate and let God do what no other man can do. Remember in Revelation where he says, For God opens doors that no man can shut. And God opens things in our life that no man can shut. And the greatest thing he opens in our life is he opens access to the Father himself. So that we are in Christ. Christ is in us. Christ is in the Father. We are in the Father and the Father is in us. And we don't have to do the work, but we do have to get abiding in the Christ. That is so essential. So then another verse in John 14, 23, Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. So rather than reading a series more verses, I'll just tell you, this is all through that section in John 14 through 17. Jesus keeps talking about it over and over, that this unity... You know, Jesus would say things that kept blowing my mind. He would say, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And I go, okay, well, I can take that. And then then he would say, well, I went and prayed to the Father. Well, wait a minute. Well, it isn't that we totally understand that. It's like that mixture of the egg and flour, okay? And we don't have to totally understand it. But Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The world needs to look at each one of us and say, if you've seen Mama J, you've seen Jesus. Do you hear? If you've seen Bob, you've seen Jesus. If you've seen Jack, you've seen Jesus. That's what they need, because just as the Greeks came up to Andrew and said, we would see Jesus, the cry of the world today is exactly the same. We would see Jesus, not we would see religion. Not, we would see a religious civic club. The church is not a civic club. The cry of the world is we would see Jesus. And we are to be so much like him that when people look at us, they go, well, when I looked at Helen, I saw Jesus. She's just like Jesus. And you go, Gads, you know, I've got a long way to go to be that way. Yes and no. Yes and no. God speaks through Balaam's donkey. He is not worried about imperfections in us. He can use us. And he can make us, he can make the spirit of God that's in us. You say, well, you've just got an ounce of the spirit of God. And Jesus said, if you had a mustard, a faith of a mustard seed, wonderful things would happen. Let the Lord flood through. You don't know, the Lord gilds over people's eyes. One of my good friends, Gary Simmons, was teaching in New Orleans one time. And he said, I felt so bad about this because I was going to teach on one thing. And then I was going to teach on the other thing. And I ended up getting them all mixed up. And I was just very unhappy with the whole thing. And I said, I just felt like I had botched it all and that the Lord had, I just let the Lord down. And this lady that always comes to the Bible study but never says anything came up from the back and said, I don't know how you received that from the Lord. That was the most inspirational message I've heard my whole life. Well, God took the words that came out of his mouth maneuvered them and got him into her. God does that. God does that. He's not interested in your ability. He's interested in our willingness. He's got ability out the wazoo. He just needs our willingness to step forth and do it. Mama Jay's over here. This is a story I'm not going to tell about Helen because I'm trying to not tell stories about Helen, but Mama Jay walked along this. It was right here, wasn't it, Helen? It was right here on this altar a couple, three years ago, and I guess for some reason she was here, but she just was walking along and turned and spoke a word to Helen out of the blue. And Helen was just sitting there and the thing went right to her heart, right on the thing that was dealing with her life. And Mama Jane and Helen never been introduced, but she was faithful to speak a word she did not understand to do what God was going to do. And I'm telling you, it has edified me just thinking about that. God can use imperfect, imperfect people and he does it all the time. The enemy's coming in and say, you're not ready, you're not ready, you're not ready. You're going to be on your deathbed, and the enemy's going to say, you're not ready. But you see, God takes anybody at any time and says, look, I'm going to do it. Do you know what he said? He said, Father, I thank you that you have hidden these things from the wise and revealed them to the infants, for such was your will. It was the will of the Father that the smart people get confused by this stuff. But those that come as infants, those that come humbly, the Lord can take. Remember when the man prayed, and the, and the scribe, the Pharisee, was there praying, saying, "Thank you. I thank you, Lord. I don't do all these bad things, and I obey the law and I do all this, and I'm not like this heathen sinner right here." And the heathen sinner beat his breast and could not even look up and said, "God, have mercy on me a sinner." And you know how Jesus finished that? That man walked away redeemed, with his sins forgiven, and the other not. The person who exalts himself and thinks they've got everything has not really met the Lord face-to-face. When you meet the Lord face-to-face, you are humble. You are humble. You are humble because you see him. You cannot see him and not be humble. Even the heathen, when they heard his voice at the mountain, were humbled. They were humbled. They were humbled out of the fear of God. But when you see the Lord, you cannot regard him as common. He is holy. He is absolutely holy, and as we behold Him, we naturally become humble. You don't beat humility into yourself. You abide in the Christ. When you abide in the Christ, He abides in you. His Spirit abides in you, and the fruit of His Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and meekness and self-control. That's the fruit of Jesus' Spirit within us. And he brings that to pass. We don't bring it to pass. And I'm talking to many of you, I know that you know this thing. You know that there's no good work that's going to come from us. But God keeps having us to find us because we keep finding new good works that we think are going to impress things. Just let God be. He, he knows how to do it. He knows how to sow. He even said when you, appeal, you appear before magistrates and governors, don't even think about what you're going to say because at that moment the Holy Spirit will grab your mouth and give you the words. He said, don't you even think about it. I want to let you know if I was going to appear before magistrates, I'd be thinking three, four hours redoing my talk. Do you know? That would be me. Wait a second. I'm going to talk to the president. I've got to think about what I'm going to say. I'm going to say this, that, and the other. But I could barely handle Jesus' say, don't even think about it. The Holy Spirit will give you the words. Yeah. Helen and I were looking recently on some of the stuff on the Azusa Street Revival. And for those of you who don't know, the Zusa Street Revival was a huge revival in Los Angeles. But this revival went on with three meetings a day, seven days a week, for three years. Three meetings a day, seven days a week for three years. They said that the upper prayer room that they had there that was always had people 24 hours a day for three years. People praying. The Lord's Spirit came and said, no man or woman led the fellowship. And the guy who, what's the guy's name, Helen. Seymour. The guy, I always want to call him some else, but Seymour was doing it. He would sit there with a box over his head just so he could just look to the Lord. And the Lord blessed a whole lot of things, but one of the great things from the fellowship was the Holy Spirit guided the meeting. There was not a piano in there, and they said there was singing like angels. And there was just glorious things that happened in there because the Holy Spirit was given full reign. We don't give the Holy Spirit full reign. We say, well, we're coming together, and this is going to be it. We're going to follow this test. We're going to follow this track, and that's how it's going to be. The Holy Spirit can do all sorts of things, and it's very, very important that when we invite the Holy Spirit, we don't invite him and then put him in the narthex, but we invite him out here, and we say, you be involved in what's going here. You grab the speaker and shut him up if they're not talking the Word of God. You know, you come and do it, and this guy apparently in the service. Now, you think about, Tony, you're a pastor. Think about if you did this in your service. But people would get up to testify, and somebody would get up and testify, and it was beginning to sound a little bit like the flesh, and they were going on and on too long, and he would just come up to him and say, Brother, no flesh shall glory before the Lord. It's time for you to sit down. Whoa! Isn't that amazing? But they would take it because the Spirit would come in. Several times they said they were attacked by, um, from the outside, and the spiritual forces would come in. and They'd have to pray against them. But they would stop, and they would pray and call on the Lord, and the Holy Spirit, the sweetness of the Spirit would come back in. But people, my favorite story was a guy from middle Africa, and he was standing behind this woman who was uh, African-American, and uh, she began. She just turned to him and began to speak in tongues. And he was from middle Africa and had a, a language that was only spoken there, and the Lord gave that woman that language. And he just tur- she just turned around and spoke to him, and in his language said, if you don't repent, you're going to hell. Jesus is your singular Savior, your Lord and King, and he's calling you now. In his language. And she, was, she, was, he, she had no idea what his language was. And that guy went right up to the front, fell on his knees, because look what God had done. And she said all those people were speaking Chinese and Japanese to all these different people. And they didn't know the language, but it was just like Pentecost. They proclaimed the gospel. Well, this is, on, this is in America. This is Los Angeles. Oh, this was good. There was a fire that came out above the uh, building, and the fire, everybody could see it, and multiple times the fire department came to put it out, but it was the fire of the Spirit. It wasn't fire, it was the fire of the Spirit. Multiple times the fire department came to put it out. People called it in and said the place is burning. You see... When you leave it to God, he takes his places that man cannot control. But you've got to be willing to go there. And they said what broke the thing up in the end was that men stepped up and had to have a place of prominence, and that broke the revival. Have you ever heard that before? I say men, I mean men and women had to have a place of prominence. You know, the enemy in the garden came in, and the first temptation was you will be as God, knowing as God. He tries that temptation all the time. He tries that temptation in religion. He tries it all the time. You will be special, knowing as God. But if we allow ourselves to abide in Christ, he can do things that haven't happened before. And we don't have to skip verses in the Bible. We don't have to skip the verse where Jesus said, and those who come after me shall do the things that I do, and even greater things shall they do. We don't skip that verse because God can do that. But he can't do that with people who aren't abiding in him. So he's saying to abide in him. So I'm going to try to close here with dealing with several things that the Lord put on my heart. Just in my experience about me or in people that I've known have been rough things to root in Christ. So if you say, what are those last 5% of things? I think everybody in this room has rooted their eternal destiny in Jesus. We know that Jesus is going to save us and take us to heaven. There's nothing we can do about that. And we're so glad that there's everything he can do about that. We're so glad. But there are many things in our lives that we do not root in Jesus. And they're in that 5% category. Now, I don't mean this to be an exhaustive list, and many of you could add things, but I do want to mention some things that sometimes just don't get talked about in church. Okay, what are those things you're holding back? Well, there's a list of things... The first one that I want to to mention, though, is that we have things that are kind of the way we look at our future. And we really don't want our future to get botched. So one of the things that's hard to give to the Lord is our hopes and plans. If the Lord said, well, are you willing to step down and live in an apartment and have $50 a a day or something to live on and da-da-da, well, that's not exactly my plan. You see, but our hopes and plans for the future, it's hard to put those into Jesus' hands. I shared before that the enemy came at me about if I was going to be a Christian, I would have to go minister in foreign countries like Borneo where they have big mosquitoes and open latrines. And he used that to keep me from being a committed Christian. My hopes and my plans didn't include going to Borneo. Do you see? We've got to give the Lord our hopes and our plans. I just want to let you know, had God asked me, I would have said, it's not time for Brother Miguel to leave. We need Brother Miguel. we got things to do, people to see, and places to go. And there's a door opening up with the Amish and good things happening here. Not time for Miguel to go. But God knows more than we know. He has plans. Fortunately, we're in his hands, and he's not in our hands. It would be a disaster. So I just say, Lord, you got it. Whatever you're doing, I know by now to say thank you, whatever you're doing. And I don't know what you're doing, but thank you for the time we knew Brother Miguel, for the inspiration he was, for the way he would follow the Lord when it wasn't popular, when he went into places and got no recognition, and he served you, and nobody knows about it. Thank you for that. Another one beyond hopes and plans is children. You look at your children and you go, now, Lord, you you know, you can mess around with me and everything, but my children, they need to turn out right. And doggone it, my daughter better measure, better can't say it, my daughter had better marry the right guy. The last thing I can have is some sort of crummy son-in-law. And my son had better marry the right girl because it's going to be a god-awful mess around here if we've got a woman running around who isn't in the Lord. Do you hear that? hard to give the lord your children hard to give the lord your children so lord you can do this but i've got my children no he's asking for your children he's asking for your children and your spouse he's asking for your career where are you going to go in your career well i'm looking at all these people by the time i'm 55 i want to definitely have achieved this place on the ladder and doggone it, don't let Johnny Lewis get ahead of me because he's a cheat and a foul person. If he overjumps me and I ever have to work for him, I'm going to quit. Do you hear me? You keep telling God what he can do and what he can't do. That is not giving it over to the Lord. Lord, let me be a servant in my job. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Done, that's it. And from our heart. I'm no great person at that. I'm telling you about things that I've tripped over in major ways. Career possessions. Well, I at least have got to have a two-car garage, and it's got to be two bathrooms. At least I'd prefer three. And if guests are going to come in, there's got to be an extra bedroom. No more of this stuff in the den. You know, we got to have somewhere they can really sleep. You can't do that to God. We used to go down to Corvilla and Erskine would open up his place. I think he put 18 kids one time on his living room floor. Now, we were young, but now I'm not young, and 18 kids on a living room floor is a to-do. Just think about the bathroom. You know, how are you going to do that? Furthermore, they want to eat when they get up. Who's going to put all that food on the table? Do you hear me? Lord, Every possession I have is yours. My house, my living room floor, how many people come over, whether I've got breakfast or not. That's yours, Lord. All of that is yours. Reputation. Well, I don't mind doing things, but I can't have people saying bad things about me. I can't have people calling me illiterate. I can't have people calling me stupid and not thinking. I'm going to tell you this. If you read about the people that follow the Lord... The enemy stirs up all sorts of people to say much worse things than that. I'd encourage you to read John Wesley's journals. I mean, they haul him out, they're going to kill him. They want to take him down. Jesus said, if they did it to me, they're going to do it to you. But you see, we're not, it's not done to us alone. Because if you're looking at me, there's someone living in me that I'm abiding in. And you come to me, you're coming to me and Jesus. And I'm not alone. And he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. And he'll make those words real in our life, not just in our mouth. Many Christians speak the word that's not in their heart at all. And the Holy Spirit will come right in there and says, your mouth is good. You need to take your mouth down, down to your heart. Your mouth talks no gossip. Okay, but that's not in your heart. And when you get free, you say, now I'm not one to talk about Mary Lou. But juicy, juicy, juicy gossip, gossip, gossip. You hear that? but we prefaced it with the right religious saying. I'm not one to talk. Or now we need to be praying for Mary Lou because you know this is her fifth husband. She never loved any of them. She just tried to get everything she could out of them. She's doing it again. Now we need to be praying for Mary Lou. We'll skip that whole middle part and just say we need to be praying for Mary Lou. God knows how to deal with it. We pray to God as if he does not know the details. God knows the details. He knows the details of our hurts. He knows the details. You can just take the name and say, Lord, please bless Anna Hall. He's got the rest. He knows how to bless. We we keep instructing God. Now, God, you have this option. Anna can go there, the whole thing be healed, and all the people be impressed. The doctor can get out to give you the plans, and you choose your plan, God. Don't give God the plans. Just say, Lord, take Anna Hall. She's yours. And let the Lord deal with it. He knows what to do. We condescend to the Lord. We make Him common the way we talk to Him. You see, we can't do that. He's trying to get us to see above that. So reputation is a big thing. Time. I'm sitting in traffic on I-285. God, this is certainly satanic. What could be any purpose for me sitting in traffic on I-285? You see, do you know that the Lord? The Bible says that the Lord guides the footsteps of the righteous? Yeah, He guides the footsteps. He puts you in places for certain times. And what he'll do is he will free you from being concerned about time. He will free you from whether it's 20 minutes or an hour. He doesn't care. You don't care. He doesn't care because you're freed from time. Time management can be a bondage. Now, don't walk out of here and say, Jim said I don't have to plan anything. I can just go over and do it. Don't you do that. God will guide you to be efficient. He'll benefit your money. He'll help you in your business. He'll do those kinds of things. But we can't complain to God about the way he uses our time. We can't complain that. I'll get something on my desk at work, and I'll look at this, and I'll say, this has been sitting on somebody's desk for two and a half weeks. Now they put it on my desk, and it's got a two-day deadline. I need a week on it. If they had given it to me in time, I would have been a fine thing, but now they gave it to me right at the end. It's an emergency. So we have a saying at work that says, lack of planning on your part does not justify an emergency on my part. You know? But do you know that God knows when emergencies are going to come, gives us the strength to deal with them. Furthermore, other people are looking. How is it that you respond to something inconvenient and uncomfortable? And if you smile and say, the God of all creation is with me, if I have to handle it, he's handling it with me, do you know how much a testimony that is? That's 30 times the testimony of your words because people look at you and they go, you will do the inconvenient thing and not complain. And furthermore, you it doesn't phase you because our god controls time but a lot of people don't give god their time they say god you got sunday wednesday night and i'll give you one extracurricular every month and that's it god that's your section you can't do that god gets early morning late morning mid morning he gets the whole thing he gets the whole thing so he can bless the whole thing another one is ministry many of you know the lord And you're out there sowing seed, you're doing something. And you say, well, no, Lord, I don't mind doing this, but I want to see proportional returns. I work a few weeks, I want to see three converts. I work three more weeks, I'd like to see three more converts. I want proportional returns. I put in the effort, you show me the result. God does not guarantee proportional returns. He doesn't guarantee when he's going to do it. He does it different ways in the Bible. Every once in a while in the Bible, you'll just start something. God just bless it right off. Every once in a while, it's like Joshua, you walk seven days or seven years, and you don't see a thing. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the fortress of the enemy is torn down. And all God is saying is, I want you to be faithful no matter what you see. You be faithful to him whom you know. And that's why Paul said, I know whom I have believed. And am persuaded he is able to keep me against that day. He knew who he believed. It's who you're walking with. He is absolutely trustworthy. The interpretation of of the circumstances is not trustworthy. Furthermore, we can't see in the spirit, and that's where it's really going on. Paul said, for we were not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and dominions. That's where the battle's really going on. We can't see hardly ever into that. So when we make a judgment based on circumstances, it's not the right judgment. We need to make a judgment based on the fact that God is faithful. Faithful whether we see it, whether we understand it, whether we don't understand it. It has nothing to do with it. He's faithful. He is absolutely faithful. So it's very important for us to hand our ministry over to the Lord. I'll give you a clue. It's not our ministry. It's his ministry. You know what, you know what Jesus said? Peter, you're the rock on which I will build my church. Not you're going to build my church because I left it in your hands. The whole thing would be a mess. I am building my church. Jesus is the head of the body, which is his church. Jesus is the head, not a man or woman on earth. Now, those are things that are kind of nicer things, okay? That didn't really step on anybody's toes too bad, I hope. But then there's some things, and this is the end, then there's some things that aren't the nicer things. I'm making that distinction. That's kind of a gem distinction. The first one I want to say is, People play with sin rather than hating sin. That's the last 5%. Like that thing with gossip? Like that saying with, well, shouldn't really look at that movie because that's got probably something bad in it, but it's got action in it, so I'll watch the action. And if that girl comes on this scantily clothed, well, that's just part of the movie. No, don't watch that. Don't play with sin. Hate sin. The Bible says that Jesus loved righteousness and hated iniquity and therefore was given the oil of gladness above his brothers. Most Christians don't have an oil of gladness because even though they do love righteousness to an extent, they don't hate sin. The Scripture says the love of God includes the hatred of evil, not the tolerance of evil, not playing with evil. Many people know something is evil. They go, well, I'm in part, you see, and they'll stand up. Now listen to this. I'm just a Christian, so I'm a work in progress. Well, that sounds all right, but a work in progress can be an excuse. The Holy Spirit can have been banging on you for three years going, what's wrong with you? Respond. And you go, well, I'm a work in progress. He's going to slap you for being a work in progress. You're not careful. He's going to get your attention and say, when I'm telling you to do something, do it. My, my, my biggest thing I have had to do is to say, When I'm not hearing from the Lord, sit down with a piece of paper and write down everything I'm confident the Lord's telling me to do. Maybe it'll be three things. Maybe it'll be um, somebody yelled at you at work and you yelled back at them. Go apologize. Well, they yelled at me first. I didn't say that. I said, you go apologize to them. Doesn't matter what they've done. I told you to love your enemies. You go apologize to them. That might be number one. Number two, you talked behind somebody's back. It was pathetic. It was a terrible thing that you did, and you need just to go tell that person you're sorry you talked about it and get that right with them. You know, when Jesus had a lot to say about getting right with your brother before you even pray. He said, get right with your brother. You need to go do that. And then I said, yeah, well, I can see that. I'll do these two things. But, Lord, I'm praying about something important here, and then I'll bring up my topics. You got it? And I said, I'll do those things, but I'm praying about something here. We don't seem to be connecting here. I'm going to tell you something. You do what the Lord said to do, and then the other unfolds. It unfolds. In the parable of the talents, the person who got ten talents, five talents, and one talent, Jesus makes a very interesting comment about the person who got ten talents. He says, therefore, since you have been faithful in very little, I will put you over ten cities. Now, if you were doing money, that person was faithful with about $5,000. If you're putting them over Los Angeles, New York, Omaha, Atlanta, for being faithful with $5,000, it's a huge multiplication. To God, the important thing is, are you faithful in what he gives you to do, not your perception of how important the thing he's giving you to do is? Do you hear me? It's, are you faithful in this? Because Jesus said, not the little thing. But this very little thing, you were faithful in this very little thing. You smiled at the person that nobody smiles to. You talk to the woman nobody talks to because every time you talk to her, all she'll tell you is what's wrong with her life in the world and you and how you live. And you're talking to her and praying for her because I told you to. Once we honor what the Lord has definitely told us. Now, I want to be clear here. Some people go, well, I'm not sure I'm discerning. Forget the things you're not sure about discerning. Forget, I can't tell if the Lord's telling me to go to Canada or Cuba. That's all right. That's not on the list. You put on the list what you know he's saying. Be faithful in that. And I'll tell you this, the rest unfolds. The rest unfolds. But people play with sin. They play with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. No, it's not important that I'm recognized. No, it's fine. It's fine. Why isn't my name on the agenda? Your mouth said it wasn't important. In your heart, your name wasn't on the agenda, and it bothers you. And anything that bothers you about that, you can just come to the Lord and say, Lord, change me to be like Jesus. I don't need my name on an agenda. I don't need my name anywhere. I, I don't want anything to be known by me. So we cannot play with sin. That's part of it. A second one is anger. This is a, a tragic thing. There's some people that have deep anger inside. They have not given over to the Lord. They just haven't given it to the Lord. I am angry at my sister because my entire life she mistreated me. I'm angry at my mother because she showed preference to my older brother. And the money that we had wasn't much, but somehow my older brother got what he needed. But when I needed something, somehow the money wasn't there. I'm just angry at her. There's anger over hundreds of things. And you know if you have it deep inside, you have to release that to the Lord. You can't let anger reside and the Holy Spirit reside. Anger. Vengeance. Uh, This is tough. There's some people that go, if I had a chance, I would really, really do something to harm other people in some way, if I had the chance. Christians get that far. They have a place where they've got vengeance. Somebody has mistreated them in their past, and they will not surrender it to the Lord. It's not a matter of whether it's justified or not. It's not a matter of should this person be punished. The Scripture says vengeance is the Lord's. That's what the scripture says. We have to let go of vengeance. It's a big deal. Stubbornness and rebellion. Now, the, as I go through these things, you'll notice that these are names of spirits, demons. They're demons of these things. But stubbornness and rebellion. You know, God said of the whole children of Israel, it's not because of you that you're going in to take this land, because you are a stubborn and stiff-necked people, and you don't deserve this land. But you're getting this land because of the greatness of the sin of those people that were there, and I'm going to gradually take them out because of the greatness of the sin, because you don't deserve it, because you are stubborn and stiff-necked. Now, some people say, well, da-da-da-da-da, and da-da-da, but it's got to be done my way. They'll talk about anything, but at the end of the day, it's got to be my way. They're stubborn, and they're stiff-necked, and they're not open to the Lord. And they don't give that to God. They go, I welcome the Holy Spirit, so long as the Holy Spirit puts me in a prominent position in the church. That's not it. The Holy Spirit may put you in a very not prominent position in the church, and you welcome him, you're welcoming the heart of a servant that's in Jesus. Jesus said he came not to be served, but to serve. And he'll put that heart within you. But we cannot be stubborn and rebellious. When I grew up in a generation, there was just tons of rebellion against all authority. It was a tough thing. But we have rebellion inside. God, I know it was you. I know you told me to do it. I know I didn't do it, and that's the way it stands. You can't be that way. God has got to have you to go and say, okay, that was my rebellion, I confess it, and I'm going to move on now and get rid of that and clean that in my life and give it over to Jesus. Take that root of me and abide it into Christ, just like he said in Colossians, just like he said in John 15. I'm taking my rebellion and put it in you, and he dissolves it. Rejection rejection's a big deal. I felt rejection, I'm embarrassed to say, at my age. I mean, I've, uh, I was recently in a meeting, and there was a bunch of uh, high-ranking people there, and such and such and such, and they went through who was going to do what, and they laid out this personal talk, this personal talk, and this personal talk, and they didn't say, and Jim will talk. And I went, whoa, I thought I was going to talk. Am I not going to talk? And I just felt this twinge come through of rejection. Am I being muscled out here? Do they just not think I'm important? Do you think that Satan jumps on that and amplifies that? Satan jumps on that, amplifies that, makes it a big thing in your mind. You have been rejected by somebody at some time. And this can be a relationship. You may have dated somebody and they went off and married somebody else. And you go, oh, that hurt. I didn't want them to marry somebody. I would like to have married them. You might have felt rejected there. Especially in a family, if your parents, if you feel like you were rejected for some reason—that you know you're a girl, but I wanted a boy, or you're a boy, I wanted, I wanted a girl that would love me—but we'll make do. Do you feel the rejection? Do you see one of the great things about coming into the love of God is God doesn't even have any rejection; He doesn't even know rejection. It says in First Samuel that He devises ways to take the banished one to bring him close to Him. He doesn't even know what rejection is. He is so, come to me. Jesus is always saying, come to him. But this is a big one, rejection. Bitterness. Uh, Bitterness is bad. And y'all know, you know what bitterness is. you got bitterness in your life about one thing. You might have said, I had this chance to move in life, and something didn't happen right. My father died early. I had to support the family. Something went wrong. I'm just bitter about it. I don't talk about it, but down deep, I'm bitter about it. Give that to the Lord. We have to give that to the Lord. And the last one, not the last, the next one is shame. Some people walk around and they go, well, if you really knew everything I'd done, you'd never never let me in this room. I mean, I'm in this room. I know there's some really good Christians here, but if you knew everything I'd done, you'd have said, I don't think you belong with these people. But the Bible says, though your sins be as scarlet. He shall make them white as snow, though your sins be as scarlet. But the enemy is the accuser of the brethren. He is the accuser of the brethren, and he will push a button of shame as far as he can. You know what you were like. These people fellowshipping with you, but if they knew what your former life was like, they wouldn't fellowship with you. You're just living in a fancy world here. You should be ashamed of everything that you did. You should be, they don't accept the forgiveness of the Lord. You see, real forgiveness, the Bible says the Lord forgets as if it never happened. But people don't forget. But we need to forget. When we forgive, part of forgiveness is forgetting. It is forgiving. But people have shame for their sins. God has forgiven that. Every one of us has shameful, shameful sins. And if you were to share some of yours, you would be surprised how many people in this room have got stuff that bad or worse in their life. You would drop your mouth if everybody really started sharing. But that's the glory of our Lord. He took us from filth to glory. And he did take us, though, and we can't let shame dwell within us because that's telling Jesus what you did was not good enough. If shame dwells within you, then Jesus' forgiveness was not good enough. But Jesus' forgiveness is good enough. It stretches down to the deepest hole. It pulls you out. He can get you out of the miry clay when you're stuck. He can pull, and he does pull us out. But we let shame reside. We need to give our shame to the Lord. It sounds strange, but you need to do it. Lord, here's my shame. I am ashamed. I know why I don't minister. I'm not worthy. My past is so bad, I know you'd never use me to minister. That is not what God does. God takes people with wretched pasts, and turns them into marvelous people because they experience the great love and transformation of God. And to them, God is very real. And Jesus said, to him who is forgiven much, he loves much. And they know the love of God. God doesn't work that way. Shame, very important we give it to the Lord. Just three more. Pride. Pride is a sneaky one. Pride sneaks into all sorts of things. Pride is sitting there, we've got to give our pride to the Lord. Say, whatever you want me to do, if it's to wash bathrooms, I'll wash bathrooms. If it's to listen to people who don't know anything they're saying, who constantly self-exalt, who are exalting themselves, be nice to them and try to say a kind word to them and help them, and that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. If it's to stand up in front of the congregation when I'm scared to death to speak and speak for 20 minutes, I'll do it. Pride is saying, Lord, I am your." I'm the opposite of saying, Lord, I'm your servant. It's, Lord, you're my servant. And that's not going to work with God. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Pride is a sneaky one. But we've got to give our pride. We've got to say, Lord, whatever it is you want me to do, that's what I'll do. I thought it would be good to go this way. It's not working out. Okay, well, we're going another way. I don't see it yet, but I know who I'm walking with. And that's how I'm guided. Another one is doubt. Some people go, all these people talk about faith all the time. I don't have faith. I'm just barely hanging on to my salvation. I haven't got this really strong faith other people need to have. I've got a doubt that will never go away. Well, God can take doubt away, and we need to give him doubt. We need to give him where we don't believe for a a brother-in-law who borrowed $500 from me and now doesn't even acknowledge that he ever borrowed money from me at all. And he comes to family reunions, doesn't pay anything back, and pretends he never borrowed it. Well, you know, I doubt whether I... I, I've got so much bad stuff, I just doubt whether I can be used of God. And it's very tough because it's a self-inflicted thing. I'm just not faith like everybody else. God fixes that. The Bible says he's the author and the finisher of our faith. The author and the finisher of our faith. And he can take doubt and replace it with faith. He authors faith. He finishes faith. He is an expert at it. We had a guy paint our house recently. He was a good painter. I know you all have seen sloppy painters and good painters. I got a good painter. When he went to a window, his brush would go right down the edge, and it really worked. Now, he had a good brush, but he had a steady hand. He was a good painter. I want to let you know something. Our father is better than the most skilled person you ever know at every single thing he does, and he can take doubt and dissolve it into faith. And the last one I want to say is broken relationships. Broken relationships are tough. We love people. They do things that hurt us. We do, it's a tough situation. It can be something that resides inside of us where we just can't seem to get rid of it. That's in that last five percent. We have to take that broken relationship and say, my good-for-nothing something or other I'm going to love, even though I think they're good for nothing. Worse than good for nothing. Broken relationships. I loved them, they hated me. I extended the olive branch, they spit in my face. I'm not ever going to talk to them again. You do that to me one more time, I'm liable to flatten your tires. No. Broken relationships. We've got to give those to the Lord. So that's a bunch of things. It's very interesting because it gets quiet when you talk about all those things. I, I, I know that these things have been real in my life. I know some of them are real in your life, but it's serious. And if we're not going to talk about, just talk about Jesus being 100%, but we're going to be serious in moving forward and taking that difficult 5% and getting it over to him, it is something we have got to do. You've got to stop and say, I'm not going to be that way. I am not going to be bitter anymore. I am not going to accept rejection I am not going to have shame in my life. I am not going to have pride. By the power of God, I'm going to move anger and violence and stubbornness and rebellion from me. And the Lord will do that very thing. But it's serious. And many, many Christians just play with these things and go on. And God's saying, if you'll bring those things, those are the things that I'll cut loose and set you free. And Jesus talked so much about he came to set free. And those are the things he came to set us free of. I went way over today. I'm sorry that I did that, but sometimes you can't break at a certain part. But the summary of this is we serve a Jesus who is so wonderful, there could be no request from us less than 100%. But that last percent, the enemy fights. The enemy fights giving over that last 5% because you take off. It's like the man who cut all the ropes on the balloon and he's at the last rope. Once you do that, it takes off. And you go, how much difference could that make? It makes a huge difference makes a gigantic difference. And the Lord is calling every one of us, take a look at your things that are holding back in the 5% and give them to me. Some people feel like, I was young, I married the wrong guy. It's just a mistake. I married the wrong guy, now I'm stuck with him. Do you know that Jesus can fix that? I'm not saying he'll tell you to divorce him. Jesus can fix your husband. He can fix your wife. He can do things like that. You're never stuck in a hole without the ability to be broken free from a bondage. Whatever bondage you're going, well, I'm stuck with this husband. I'm stuck in this lifestyle. I'm stuck in this. Nothing are we ever stuck that Jesus can't set us free from. Nothing, nothing at all. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, you are the one who is worth everything. Help us, Lord, to give of ourselves all that we are and have it abide in you And have it said in you. We ask your Holy Spirit come and convict us of sin that we know about and sin that's been deep inside of us that we're not even sure we know about it. And we ask, Lord, you help us to stretch forth with these things that have not been given to you. Turn them over to you genuinely in trueness of heart. That we be transformed to be into your image. That the world would see Jesus in us. And that you would be glorified. And that you would alone would receive the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now we don't